Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome, friends. Thank you again for listening and downloading this podcast two weeks in a row. Very proud of myself for sticking with um, this schedule and, and being able to put something online. We are coming to the end of our sermon series uh, called Information, uh, Becoming a Church Without Walls, and uh, today want to talk to you a little bit about the power of community and the power of story. But before I get into that, let me read the text that we're reflecting on today. This comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Please hear these words. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, already furnished. Make make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So I had a very first world problem the other day. We have an apple TV, and the other day I was going onto it and wanted to watch something on Netflix, and it came on. I could see the screen, but the remote that I had uh, wouldn't work, and so I was doing my best to try to figure out how to uh, make it work and turning off and on and couldn't figure it out, but finally I figured that I had somehow uh, what's called unpaired the remote to the Apple TV, and so I had to figure out how I could get them to sync again, pair them, in other words, in order that I could make the remote do what I wanted it to do on the TV. It was mildly frustrating, again, a very first world problem, Uh, but it made me think too about an article I read the other day about in Psychology Today about the power of story and the power of telling stories. Then some researchers at Princeton did this study, and they had a woman who was both fluent in English and Russian tell a story to a group of volunteers. All of the volunteers spoke English. They didn't speak Russian. And when the woman told the story in English, the researchers were measuring her brain, the storyteller's brain, and the brains. They were measuring the brain regions of the listeners as well. And so as the woman was telling this story, it was amazing to see how their brains, both the storyteller and listening to the story, were literally synchronized or paired like that Apple remote. When she had an activity in her, what's called her insula, which is the emotional region of the brain, the listeners had that same activity in their insulas. When her frontal cortex lit up, so did theirs. 
So by simply telling a story, the woman could plant ideas, thoughts, and emotions into the listener's brains. Probably not surprisingly, when the woman told the story in Russian, none of the brain activity was the same in the listener's as it was in hers as well. This is one of the things I find interesting. It tells us about the power of story and the power that stories have in connecting us that are mysterious and overwhelming at times, too. So why are we talking about, why am I talking about stories today as it relates to this sermon series about information, about race and racism and what it means to be a church and what does it mean to be individuals who fight to break down these kinds of walls that we erect in our society. I'm talking about it because these last four weeks, these sermons, I think, have been challenging for us. And perhaps at times it seems a little overwhelming. Like, will there ever be a time where we can make any kind of progress at all in in breaking down these systems of injustice and racism. And when we're talking about that, when we're naming the systems and talking about the things that are happening, particularly to people of color in our country, it's hard to find hope. And so in this last sermon in this series, we wanted to talk about what does it mean to have hope? What does it mean to stay resilient uh, in this fight, as it were? How do we find joy in the midst of doing the necessary work of breaking down these systems and breaking down uh, that, that breaking down these systems that break down individuals? Today, I want to focus on how we can do that by being in community, but more particularly by the power of sharing our stories and listening to these stories as one way to do just that. Now, storytelling has become more popular, I think, in our society today. One example, The Moth, is a very popular podcast on NPR and on you can download it from the Apple Store as well, where people coming together and telling stories. There are story slams that are happening all over the country as well. And so I think people are getting a sense that telling a story is not just a way to pass time, but they also, I think, help keep us resilient. Stories give us hope. And I think Jesus knew that which is one of the reasons he liked to tell stories. And we see that, in a way, in our scripture today. When we think about Jesus telling stories, we may think of times when Jesus told parables. But in today's passage, we read about how Jesus, in a sense, told a different kind of story. This was the story of the Passover, a story that our Jewish friends continue to tell today. I was reading a book about essential Judaism this week and to re- refresh my memory on the Passover and the purposes of the Passover. And I was reading one author online who said that the purpose of retelling the Passover story is not just to read another thriller, as it were, but the part, the purpose of retelling the Passover story is so that story can become part of one's daily life. So whenever... Jews get together for Passover. The central event, I'm getting this again from the book Essential Judaism, the central event is the Seder, which is the recounting of the Exodus from Egypt, which we read in the book of Exodus, which was a liberation from slavery. The Israelites were held in slavery by the Egyptians, and that leads directly into 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and that finally ends in the land of Canaan in Israel. And yet, one cannot help remembering, as the story is retold, 
The two temples that were destroyed in Jerusalem, the renewed wandering of the Jewish people, the centuries of tragedy, and finally the promise not yet redeemed whenever they gather together for the Seder meal. So much of the Seder meal is an act of remembrance. So one part of the meal, for example, is when individuals eat bitter herbs and salt water, which are to recall the bitterness of slavery and the tears of Israelites. The, the liturgy of the Seder, which is called the Haggadah, is very explicit about this. You're supposed to retell the story of the Exodus as if we too have been liberated from slavery in Egypt. So one of the major themes, if not the major theme of this Seder meal of the Haggadah, the liturgy, is to remember that God is one who liberates. And part of the, the power of this is also a strong component that we must teach our children, that children who are at the Passover meal play a role in this so that they can teach them the story of that liberation that was told in Exodus and the liberation perhaps that we know today so that they do not forget the role that God played as liberator and the role that God continues to play today. So Jesus gathered with his friends and followers. Today, we, if we read this um, story, we may have a, a remembrance that this is called sometimes the Last Supper. And we forget that this is a Passover meal. And so as Jesus, we read in our text today, Jesus is pointing to, and earlier in Luke had talked about how Jesus would suffer and would die. And some of his followers perhaps were ignoring that because they didn't want to acknowledge it or they might have thought that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. And so they just forgot or failed to recognize what Jesus was trying to prepare them for. But maybe they did think about it too. So there may have been a pall over this meal. But Jesus tells the story, we assume, tells the story of the Passover. And so he engages in this meal with his followers. And again, as he tells the story, as Jesus tells the story of the Passover, as he tells the story of God liberating the Jews the Israelites, it was a reminder to them, to Jesus' followers, that God is faithful. As Jesus tells the story, it's a reminder to them that God is just. As Jesus tells the story, it's a reminder that God liberates. This, I think, binds these disciples together. It reminds them that God is there in their midst, that God's providence is there for them, that God's love for them, even in a time of trial and tribulation, by Jesus telling the story of the liberation of the Israelites, perhaps his disciples remember that God is here, even if we have a sense of foreboding, even if there's a sense that something bad is about to happen. The telling of the story perhaps gives them some resilience and maybe gives them some hope. God has been with us for so many years and God will continue to be with us no matter what happens. It's important, I think, to, to get the power of this, to know the impact that story can have, whether it's told as at the Passover meal, whether Jesus, as Jesus tells it at that meal or the other stories that Jesus told then. But even in our faith today, I think it's important for us to know and continue to retell those stories of our faith and also to recognize and reclaim the ability that we have to tell our own stories of hope. And so how do we do that today as a way to be resilient in the face of racism and injustice? 
How do we tell our stories to remind us, particularly those of us who are people of faith, to remind us that God liberates, that God is with us, that God does not leave us? How do we tell our own story and how do we listen, listen to these stories as well? Well, in our worship service, I'm going to play a about a two-minute and 25-second story that comes from StoryCorps. StoryCorps is an organization that believes in the power of story. It's been going on for several years now, and they have locations around the country, including Chicago. There's a StoryCorps studio downtown Chicago at the Chicago Cultural Center, and people can come and record their own stories. And now you can hear thousands and thousands of stories online because StoryCorps knows, knows the power that every life matters and the importance that we must continue to remember and reflect on who we are as individuals. So one of these stories that I'm going to play is a story of two individuals, Yalitza Castro and Willie Davis. And I'll put the link on my Podbean page. And it reminds us, too, of how to listen and how these stories can give us hope. The story tells Yalitza, who is an undocumented immigrant living and working in Charlotte, North Carolina. She works as a housekeeper. And she tells the story of driving by one day and she sees Willie by the street. He was homeless and she decides with the family to turn her van around and not just give Willie money, but also because her children had invited her to or encouraged her to, why don't we invite Willie over to our home for dinner because he's hungry. And so she tells this story about how they turn around and invite Willie over to their home for dinner. And in some ways, Today, in our modern sensibilities, we think, well, that's dangerous. How, how on earth can we do that? How on earth should we uh, go about engaging in this way? But instead, as I hear this story, it gives me some hope. As I listen, and perhaps we may have images of our mi- in our minds of what does it mean? Or who, who are the people who are undocumented, undocumented immigrants in our society today? And because we don't listen to their stories, we may think, well, They are this kind of person. Or if we are thinking about a homeless man who is African-American, we have certain images of who this person is, and we don't listen to them at all, and we just make uh, grand assumptions, stereotypes of who these individuals are. But by listening to their story, as I listen to their story, it gives me hope that these are real people coming from real lives, with real struggles, but also there is real hope. And as I listen to this story, that gives me hope to know of not just the goodness of humanity, but to know the depth that individuals are, particularly individuals with whom I don't spend a lot of time. I don't spend a lot of time with undocumented immigrants. I don't spend a lot of time with homeless men and women. I walk in my own circles and I fail to listen to them. And so this story, by listening to them, it helps me to realize that these are individuals. This is not a broad swath of the population, meaning that undocumented immigrants are all believe the same thing or they all came to this country for the same reason uh, or that all African-American homeless men are this way. But by listening and because of the courage that they had, Yalitza and Willie, because of the courage they had to share their own story, that is powerful in and of itself. And I'm not just talking about people of color here, encouraging them to tell their stories and for white people just to listen. Racism, what racism sometimes does, it also, I think, for white people, we tend to not tell our own stories. And by that, I mean we don't tell the stories of our histories. 
of where we came from. Because as we've talked about, race essentially is a construct. When individuals came to this country, there was really no such thing as white people. There were English and French and German and others who came. But when they came to this country, there was that insidious, unspoken thing of racism, a white race, that whiteness had to be elevated above African slaves or Native Americans who were already here. And so by trying to fit into that whiteness, so many white people have not heard the stories of their own histories. In the book White Like Me by Tim Wise, he tells this story about wanting to learn more about his grandfather and his grandfather's experiences in Russia. And Tim Wise writes this. He says, the problem was that my grandfather literally didn't have any stories to tell, at least not complete ones. And the reason he didn't have any stories is because tales about the old country and a connection to that immigrant past were often the first casualties of whiteness, the first things that had to be sacrificed on the altar of assimilation. To hold on to those stories, let alone to pass them down, would be to remain stuck, one was told. It would stifle one from becoming fully American, which meant white American at the time of entry for European ethnics. So one had to begin the process of transformation. This is one of the casualties of racism, that white people don't have a sense of who they are, where they came from, to this country. There's a sense of, well, I'm, I'm a white American, which really doesn't have much richness or depth to it at all. And so it's, it's, I think it's helpful and powerful for, for all of us to be able to know and tell and reclaim our stories so that we get a sense of hope and joy and resilience in the face of systems that would rather us have people who are put above other individuals. All of this, that really the theme for this sermon came from a conversation I had with Janita Robinson this week. Janita is a member of Urban Village, um, such an impressive woman. She's run for alderman here in Chicago and just recently ran for state representative uh, for in Illinois. And Janita is an African-American woman lives in the South Loop of Chicago, and we are talking about, um, I asked her, where do you get your resilience? Where do you find hope uh, through and because of the racism that you may have experienced in your own life? And she immediately talked about her grandmother and family gatherings. So she began to talk to me about her grandmother, and she said her grandmother's grandparents were slaves in South Carolina. And her grandmother was in born in Mississippi, and Janita told me about how her grandmother and grandfather, her grandfather who had a job on the railroads, and they left that behind in Mississippi as part of the great migration to Chicago in the 20th century. And she talks, Janita told me about how her grandmother eventually bought a two flat in, in Englewood at the time. Englewood was a predominantly white neighborhood. And she talked about how her grandmother had played such a role in raising so many different nieces and nephews and her own children as well. Janita talks about the power of her own extended family. And as Janita's telling all this, as she's saying, she draws inspiration from her grandmother. And now the times when families would get together and they would tell the stories that makes up who they are. And that is one place that Janita gets her resilience and hope because of her grandmother and telling the stories of the, the resilience and the hope that her grandparents had and the ancestry and backgrounds that they all came from out of slavery to Mississippi and to Chicago. And the power of all of that is what helps drive 
Janita and what helps give Janita hope and joy in moments of despair or racism that she experiences and faces. How can we tell and listen to the stories as a people of faith that remind us too, not just of our own backgrounds and experiences, but how do we tell the stories that God is liberator? Just as Jesus told that same story the night before he died. And we tell that story of faith every week when we gather together at communion at Urban Village. We tell the story of how Jesus gathered with his friends and how Jesus overcame death and became resurrected. And that story of resilience we tell every week when we gather together for worship. This Sunday at Urban Village, we're telling the story of baptism. We're baptizing a a young child. And we'll tell the story of how Jesus was baptized. And we'll tell the story of the times of water and the story of our faith, of Noah, of the creation of the world, all of these wonderful stories that remind us that God is with us, that God liberates us, that our God is a God of hope. And that's why we continue to make those connections. That the sacrament that May, the little baby who will be baptized on Sunday, is the same sacrament in a sense that Jesus went through when Jesus emerged from the the River Jordan and heard the, the voice from the heavens that said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so we tell those stories of what God did in the history of our faith, and then we tell the stories of our own faith as well. And so for us as a church at Urban Village, how will we tell that story? How do we tell our own stories? When we say, do I remember last year when we, as a part of the Black Lives Matter movement and our desire in a small way to make it known that we believe that Black Lives Matter and we went outside the church and we stopped traffic for a few minutes and it was not easy. People, a couple of people flipped us off. People were a little angry with us. But I think it's important for us to continue to tell that story so that people can know God was with us in that moment. And that had a powerful impact on so many in that time of, of liberation, that time where we were standing with each other as a way to make that powerful statement that Black Lives Matter. What stories will we as a church continue to tell and Part of that, too, is continuing to act in ways so that we will have stories to tell. It's not much of a story to say, well, I, I, I was kind of involved in my faith, but I didn't really do anything to, to push the boundaries at all. The little things in life certainly can give us stories, but often it is when we stretch ourselves and act for justice and act in ways that bring hope to others. That's the stuff that stories are made of. So friends, think about your own life. Have the power to tell your story, particularly to tell your stories of liberation, to tell your stories that provide hope, to tell your stories of resilience so that that can help others along this path that we are going down as well, this path of working against injustice and racism as a church and as individuals. Tell your story. Listen to other stories around you remembering that all of this is part of the story that God tells of us in our own lives. Be thou Amen. My vision, oh well, Lord, friends, thank you for listening 
to this podcast throughout this series. I'll be back again next week as we start a, a short series called House Party and how we invite people to the party of Christ and to this power of uh, Christ that we all are a part of. So until then, uh, may the peace of Christ be with you. Waking or sleeping.